TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Odyssey celebrates the class of 2024, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. And welcome back to Hardline right here on News Radio 930 WBEN, taking your calls and texts at 716 803 0930 and political strategist and partner at Mazziello, Martucci, and Calabrese. Carol Calabrese, the man himself, joins me. Carol, um, so many things to talk about, and there's no such thing as a slow news day in politics these days. That's for sure. Uh, first and foremost, uh, we'll get into the uh, uh, Trump rally. President Trump was in Tulsa last night in a few minutes. But first, I wanted to ask you your thoughts on... Uh, Dwayne Whitmer, the libertarian candidate that I had on at the top of the show at 10 o'clock. And whether you think uh, third-party candidates have any shot when you're in a race that's as heated and, you know, sort of typical of the Republican-Democrat kind of thing. And then you have somebody like Beth Parlato on the conservative line who is picking up steam. Do you think somebody like Whitmer on the libertarian line has a shot? Probably not. I mean, we're a two-party system. Uh, it's in our tradition, our heritage. Um, it, it's just such a long shot. I, I, I think in all of my days, I, there's very, very few candidates who win public office based on one minor party line. I can think of a few, but it is the exception and not the rule, and it, it, they're really spaced out over the years. So I think a lot of these third-party candidates are looking at the long game, they're not looking to win an election that's right in front of them. They're looking at making points, making their issues known, uh, establishing a base in New York State, um, and building it to the point where they can attract enough votes every four years during a gubernatorial race to stay on the ballot and maybe move up on the ballot based on the number of votes they get. So I really do think that they bring, a lot of them bring up very legitimate issues, um, but I, they're playing a long game, not the electoral victory game for the next election. The other thing, too, Carol, that strikes me is that people may not be familiar with the libertarian principles, and I think that's a way to shine a light on these other parties out of the the so-called standard of Dems and Republicans. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I I would. In fact, I've often said that, uh, especially with younger people, um, younger people, the the I generation, the Z generation, have been born and raised into a a system where I call them libertarian consumers. Um, because of the, the Internet, they have access worldwide to a huge array of, of goods and products and services when they go to purchase something, and then they have the ability to customize it. Uh, those are libertarian principles. Government can't give them that level of choice nor that level of customization. It just can't do it. It's impossible. Um, usually government approaches issues with a one-size-fits-all. That's totally contrary to the way these young people have been raised. And I, I tell my classes at UB, eventually you're going to start asking, why can't the political system give me the same range of choices and customization, um, or at least something better than a one-size-fits-all approach, that the private sector gives me? So I think well, going forward over the next 10, 20 years, 
those libertarian principles that exist today in the private sector that people live by and have become very accustomed to and very supportive of um, may find their way into the political realm. And that's where the Libertarian Party may be looking, again, in the long range down the road, to be able to position themselves to say, we offer alternatives that give you, the individual, the same kind of choices uh, in the public policy realm as you have in the private sector, if not exactly the same, at least a bigger range. And that's why you should look at the Libertarian Party. I think that's the game they're playing. Yeah, you know, when you think about it, the overall choices we have in life in general are so much greater than even when you and I were kids. Everything from food to electronics to uh, media, and certainly I think politics uh, falls into that category as well. It's really kind of a fascinating microcosm of society, I think. And if, you, and if, you, if we think that we have lots of choices and the ability to customize products and goods and services today, wait five, six, seven years down the road, what's coming? If you read about the technology that's coming that the private sector is going to be employing to give consumers even more choice and more customization, uh, it's, it's in another world. And again, the political world stays pretty much stagnant in one-size-fits-all, limited choice, limited customization, if any. And eventually those two forces are going to collide, especially with younger people today, um, as I say, in the next 10, 15 years. No doubt. And, well, Carol, who would have thought we'd be broadcasting from our home kitchen tables? You know, <laughs> there's an example right there. Uh, I'm sitting um, outside enjoying the, the nice weather on my deck, so... Yeah, it's a good way to uh, it's a good way to work. Let's go to the phone lines. We have a call from Niagara Falls. Let's check in with Frank. Good morning, Frank. You know, I wanted to tell uh, Senator Ork, you know, it's a big mistake to get real progressives mixed up with liberals and corporate Democrats. You know, we actually have much more in common with you conservatives than than you think if you explore the issues and realize that you know we actually despise Clinton Cuomo Democrats as much as you do. So. You know, he could probably gain a lot of both votes if he realized that. But, you know, we all love our nation, and we just want to be free without government or police standing in our way. And progressives look at politics like, what if you had the power to save one person? And let me give you an example of how government destroys people's lives. My best friend worked her whole life to buy properties around western New York. You know, she's one of the landlords. Landlords, a class of New Yorkers who no one seems to care about as tenants haven't paid their rent in months, and she's on the edge of ruin. You know, what will a Democrat or a Republican do for her? You know, and, and even before the COVID-19 price, crisis, she tried to open a quality used clothing store on her property in, in Niagara Falls. She bought her stock, worked hard at great expense to set the billy up, and the city code enforcement shut her down simply because her building used to be a nightclub and she kept the beautiful bar as a display area. I mean, come on. You know, the, the city of Niagara Falls should be begging people to open businesses, not shutting them down. What's a Republican or a Democrat going to do for us? That's what I want to know. I don't want to hear all this division and blame and, you know, this guy and that guy. Just get out there and solve our problem. Okay? Frank, uh, Frank, you, Frank, thank you for the call. And, Carol, I think Frank's call reflects the frustration that a lot of people feel, uh, especially if their livelihood is being compromised, whether it's through political problems or through a coronavirus, for goodness sake. Oh, no question. I could hear the frustration in his voice with, 
with government, with bureaucracy, with you know the so-called administrative state. Brenda, did I hear Frank correctly at the beginning? Did he identify himself as a progressive? I believe that's what he said, yes. If he did, if he is a progressive, he, he might want to reconsider that label because what he just said, that you know they, they, the government, an agency of government, shut down a business uh, and how wrong that was. Well, actually, if you read the, the progressive history and the progressive philosophy, progressives are very comfortable with big government and bureaucratic government of decisions being made by unelected people. I mean, that's the very core of the progressive philosophy, going back to Woodrow Wilson, who wrote books about the progressive philosophy. And so, you know, progressives are very happy when, you know, Supreme Court rules that government agencies can make up rules that essentially become laws, and so they basically, unelected bureaucrats get to write the laws, they get to administer the laws, and if there's a a dispute, they get to adjudicate the laws. That's the very definition of the administrative state, and that's what the progressive movement was built upon. So, Frank, maybe you want to read a little history about the progressive movement and what their philosophy is, and maybe he might reconsider defining himself as a progressive. Another gentleman who uh, is very interested in the political world, one of our regular callers, Kevin from Pendleton, checking in. Good morning, Kevin. Hello, Kevin. Yeah, now now we are. Me, I had to click there. Good morning, Brenda. Good morning to you, Carl. Good morning. You know, you know, I speak as a constituent here on the twenty seventh. I can breathe. You can breathe, Brenda. All of us here, even in America, can breathe. Because you know what? This election here will show where the two-party duopoly of the DNC and the GOP for almost 100 years has had their necks, their, their knees in our necks, cutting off the oxygen of liberty, that our brains are triggered off to believe that here in the NY27 and even America's future is all based upon either the Democrat or Republican way, and not as JFK said, the American way. You know, as a registered Republican, I hope and pray NY27, I plead with you, please put your values and your principles and everything for this country and your humanity and your principles before your political party. And I'm not going to tell you how I'm going to vote because I don't want to promote anyone in particular, but I'll tell you something. If you all are concerned about this nonsense, about spitting votes and all this kind of thing, just remember, whoever wins this special election, they're just going on a short vacation to D.C. at taxpayers' expense because anything can happen between now and November. And lastly, you know, this special election will be a mandate to the Democrat and Republican leaderships that once and for all, that we, the people, want to make a difference in what happens the day after the elections. Because I tell you what, whether your candidate wins or your candidate loses, right, there's also another bunch of winners other than who wins. You know who's going to be the winners? The winners will be the leaderships of both the Democrat and Republican parties, right? And the rest of us have to continue through our miserable lives. So this is what I, I feel, and I think I speak on behalf of, Everyone out here in Y27, right? And you know what? If, you know, Nick Dukes of Hazard, Boss Hog Langworthy, and Jeremy, the, the political zealot Zellner, Ralph Moore, you know, even all the way in Washington, Ed Little Nixon Cox, right? This, right? This will be the ground zero. I hope it becomes the ground zero in the silent majority standing up and saying something. Because, you know, and thank you, Brenda, for having Dwayne Whitmore on. You know why? 
He gives some of us an alternative. He gives us an alternative than the same old business as usual. You know, so thank you for, for doing that. Because I look on the Buffalo News and I only see the pictures of four, right? And you don't see Mr. Whitmore there. And you tell me if this system is broken and can be fixed. Thank you very much. God bless America. Kevin, always appreciate your passion. And, and Carol, let's let's do a, a deep dive into NY27. Uh, in all of your years in politics and you teach and you've been uh, in office, have you ever seen any kind of crazy election like we've got coming up on Tuesday? Two and one, essentially. The, the short answer is no, and the long answer <laughs> is hell no. I mean, this is just bizarre. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing, you know, going back to the indictment of, of Chris Collins and, you know, is he in, is he out, and then the, the election, which was, you know, won by Chris Collins by, by the skin of his teeth, and then, the, you know, then the, then the sentencing and everything, the, the chairs coming together and trying to pick a candidate and the setting of the election and then the... Uns, you know, the, the, the rescheduling of the election. This has just been bizarre. I mean, that's the only word I can think of. And it, it's no wonder voters are confused, and they're, they're going to have to think, you know, a little bit when they go into this voting booth, make sure they're doing everything in the right order, and they're, they're going to be asked to vote twice. I've never seen anything like it. And it, it certainly leads to confusion. And, uh, you know, and the plus, now we have this virus and mail-in voting, and it just even adds the layers of uncertainty. Well, and let's not forget about, uh, apparently it was Beth Perlato who filed a complaint against Chris Jacobs. I am, and uh, I, Carol, you had mentioned, you know, it was very interesting when you were on with Susan and Brian earlier this week on WBEN, you had mentioned about the timing of that, how it often happens on a Thursday before the election. And that's no coincidence, right? Oh, no, oh, no, no, no. That was, the, that was like a, a finely choreographed dance, okay? It was like watching the political version of Dancing with the Stars. Uh, that's how choreographed it was. And I suspected it was her campaign almost immediately, and I'll tell you why. Literally within hours after the charge made the media and was broadcast on the news, there was an ad, there was a political ad on radio attacking Chris Jacobs. And I said to my wife, I've been involved in producing political radio commercials many, many times in my career. You, you just don't produce a radio commercial within a few hours. You have to rent studio space, so it has to be available to you. Um, you have to find an engineer and a producer to be in that studio. Um, you need to write the script. If it involves a voiceover of a professional, you need to go out and hire that talent. Uh, you need to rehearse it. Uh, and then you need to physically get in the studio and cut it. You don't do that in four, five, six hours. That means, so I believe that commercial was in the can for days, if not weeks, waiting for the charge to be filed and publicized. So that was that was certainly choreographed, no question in my mind. Well, it, it seems like Beth is uh, not playing nice in the sandbox, uh, Carol. Are you surprised at the venom that, and the division in this uh, in this race right now? Oh, it, it, it's gotten real nasty, and it's gotten to a different level today. I read that this is an allegation, but they're saying that she actually had drones flying over this house that Chris Jacobs owned in Orchard, right. taking pictures. Now, you know, in my day, there were certain things that were off limits in a political campaign, your family, your, your spouse, your children, off-limits, in your house, your, your domicile. Uh, you know, you don't, you know you, if you want to demonstrate against an incumbent, you go to his or her office and do it on public space. You don't go to their home and disrupt their home and their neighborhood. So to be flying drones over somebody's house, that's almost scary. 
that that's like 1984 Georgia Orwell kind of stuff. I, I was when I read that, I said, "Wow, we we may be entering a whole new period of political campaigns that may very well discourage good people from getting involved." Well, and I think that's been the case in a lot of uh, races where a lot of good people are not involved, and we end up seeing the same candidates over and over again. Um, speaking of candidates, uh, President Trump has endorsed. Chris Jacobs twice, and in fact, one of our texters points this out as well. Uh, do you think that uh, is enough to get him over the over the hump of this? I mean, there's obviously other things too, but how much does the Trump endorsement mean to him? The call from Air Force One, Don Jr. Uh, speaking on Jacobs' behalf. What does that all mean, do you think, in this race? Assuming that the level of support for Trump in NY27 uh, is at the very, very high, almost uh, you know, in the stratosphere levels, that it has been since Donald Trump uh, came down that escalator in 2016 and announced his candidacy, assuming that that level of support and enthusiasm still exists in NY27, and every poll that I've seen up until recently says it does, uh, this is very, very important. Uh, I mean, one of the key determinants of people's Republican votes in that district based on polls was, will they be a supporter? Will, they, will the congressional candidate and will the congressional um, will, will the congressperson once elected, be a supporter of Donald Trump and his policies. All the polls I've seen, that is, that is the number one criteria for people to vote in an election. So um, endorsements by the president, um, you know, the son, the family of the president coming in, uh, tweets, emails, mailings, reminding people that, uh, in, in this case, Chris Jacobs does indeed support the president, and to the point where the president has stepped out and very vocally supported him. And we all know if Chris Jacobs was not a Trump supporter. Uh, this president would say so and say so very loudly. So very important. And, uh, you know, if I was running the, the Chris Jacobs campaign, uh, I'd want to make as much hay out of, of those statements and those endorsements and those visits uh, uh, as, as I could. No question about it. I'm really curious about how the turnout will be this Tuesday, uh, Carol, because not only do we have a pandemic to worry about in terms of uh, whether it's safe to go, some people might be reluctant to show up at a voting booth and uh, worry about whether there's enough safety compliance being done. But uh, now that we're seeing that the weather might be a little, uh, you know, unpredictable with some heavy rains uh, in the forecast. So we'll see just exactly how many people turn out. But it is certainly an election unlike any other. Um, and speaking of elections and rallies, President Trump was in Tulsa last night. And there were a lot of things that came of that. No surprise there, right? So Carol and I will jump into the fray of the Trump Tulsa rally, and we'll also take your calls. In fact, John from Rochester, I ask you to please hold on because we want to get to you after this break. This is Hardline. I'm Brenda Alacy. Much more to come with Carol Calabrese right after this. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's better over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. 
Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device. Credit service ported. 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Hardline. Joe Beamer is off today, enjoying some vacation time, and uh, playing a little New York bump music, courtesy of John Simon, because we've been talking quite a bit about the NY27 race. Rather unusual situation with the, the two elections in one this Tuesday. Uh, Carol Calabri is the political strategist, and uh, uh, Maziello Martucci Calabri's partner is with us, and Carol also teaches at UB. And we'll go back to the phone lines, uh, to John in Rochester, where the phone has probably uh, been embedded in your ear for a while. John, thank you so much for your patience. Hey, Brenda. Hey, hey Carol. Uh, you know, uh, Jeff Berman was basically fired recently. He's the uh, prosecutor down in the Southern District. And uh, I'll tell you, I think it was a good, good move because my concern is one of the biggest dangers in our country is some of these biased courts. Uh, that district down there, the district in northern Virginia, their D.C., uh, it's, as an example, in, in Manhattan, when Donald Trump ran for president, I think he only got 10% of the vote in Manhattan. And that's where that district court is, which means 90% voted against them. How would a conservative or a Republican get a fair trial in these districts. Uh, another example, in D.C., uh, one of Obama's chief attorneys when he was in the White House was uh, violated uh, election law by not registering in a foreign country. Barr had to drop the charges because he would have had to have the venue of the hearing, the grand jury, in the Northern Virginia courts, and he didn't think the uh, jury pool would uh, be cooperative, so he dropped the charges. Do you see that as being a danger, and do you agree with the Berman uh, firing? I do I do agree with that it's a danger. I think the there are many courts in this country that have been dominated by far-left progressive judges, um, and they oftentimes uh, rule from the bench based on political decisions as opposed to what the law says. And if you're conservative, uh, that's very disturbing. And I think... I think it's a good idea for Trump to do what he did four years ago, and he has said he is going to release uh, the names, a list of names of jurists, of judges, that he would consider on his A-list uh, to fill the next vacancy on the Supreme Court. Uh, I, think that, I think that's a good tactic, a good strategy, and I, I think this could be a major issue uh, in the upcoming election. As far as this, this um, uh, U.S. attorney goes, you know, I'm not a conspiracy guy. I've uh, been on radio and TV for many years, and I've never wanted to buy into you know these in-depth conspiracies. But I look at what I see as the incredible double standard in the application of the law that's been going on um, in this government now for the last four years. Uh, I see Paul Manafort charged, convicted of lying, and he's in solitary confinement. I see Roger Stone charged and convicted of lying. He's facing a lifetime in prison. I see Michael Flynn charged with lying. He's been destroyed financially, and he may have to face jail time. Uh, but yet I look on the other side, and I see Hillary Clinton destroying tens of thousands of emails. 
Um, I see her and her staff destroying iPhones and computers with, with hammers. I see John Brennan lying in front of Congress under oath uh, about the use of the, the steel dossier in, in getting FISA warrants. I see James Clapper lying under oath in Congress saying that the American government does not intercept American cell phone calls. That was a lie. I see Comey leaking classified information. Um, I see all the prosecutorial abuses against General Flynn um, and Andrew McCabe, second or third in command of the FBI, lying under oath in Congress. None of these people had their homes broken into by fully armed SWAT agents at 4 o'clock in the morning and had to go to trial and got convicted and are in solitary confinement. None of them. And I'm, I'm saying, what is going on here? Um, based on what I read, when the Attorney General filed his brief, asking to drop the charges against General Flynn. And I would encourage anybody, everybody, go online. It's about 20 pages. It's not overly legalistic, because I'm not a lawyer, but I read it and I understood it. And he outlines all the prosecutorial abuses and falsifications that went into going after General Flynn. There is no question in my mind that there are many people in this government at the bureaucratic level, at the highest levels, that have been going after Donald Trump literally from the day of his inauguration, and I don't believe they're going to give up until the eve of this election, and if he wins again, they're going to start all over again. It is really concerning to me to see unelected government officials pursuing that, that political agenda to the level they've been willing to go, even if it means stomping over Congress or, uh, constitutional rights and, and, uh, that we have as citizens. So Trump, I think, has had enough. John, thank you very much for the call. I always appreciate your insight. And, and Carol, let's talk about uh, President Trump's rally last night in Tulsa. We may have just stepped over the line, and he said, okay, I have the right to fire anybody in my administration, the executive department, that I've lost confidence in. I've lost conf confidence in you. If you don't resign, I'm going to fire you, and that's what happened. Carol, uh, let's talk about uh, the Trump rally in Tulsa last night. About uh, 19,000 uh, capacity arena was where he held his rally and it looked like he was ready to kind of get back into that fighting spirit uh do you think it perhaps backfired on him because it, uh, because it wasn't filled to capacity and there was no overflow crowd what was your take on uh, uh, the turnout yeah it certainly was disappointing i don't think there's any way you can you can put spin on it that it wasn't a disappointment especially with the pre uh rally hype that a million people had applied for tickets. Interesting, I don't know if you saw this today, Brenda, but uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, has come out and said that that was, a, that was a tactic used by the left, that a lot of folks on the left went online and reserved tickets for the rally, knowing they weren't going to show up, but just to increase expectations that a million people are going to be there. And of course, when that doesn't happen, it the disappointment's even worse. I thought that was an interesting tactic that the left used to kind of sabotage uh, the numbers. But there's no question that people didn't show up. Now, the real, the real issue, if you're Donald Trump and his campaign, is, is that because people are less enthusiastic about Donald Trump and his agenda, or they, are they less enthusiastic about coming out to a mass gathering because of the virus? Uh, well, Carol, let me ask you, would you have gone to the rally? Yes. And so you had no qualms about uh, uh, the social distancing, the, the compliance with safety. Would you have worn a mask and gone, or would you have just gone as, as is? Oh, no, if it was indoors, yes. And, and I, often, I said, you know, again, a good tactic would have been for Donald Trump to say, okay, because indoors or outdoors, everybody must wear a mask. 
but I'm going to provide the mask, and the masks are all going to be read with the words, Make America Great. <laughs> that I, would have been a great marketing tool. Thousands of people with the mask on, essentially walking bumper stickers for Donald Trump. That, I'm surprised he didn't do that. Yeah, I am too, actually. Hey, Carol, before we uh, continue on with President Trump and the rally, uh, one of our texters is asking for you to be specific on how he can get the 20 pages online that you referenced. Um, if I recall, this was a number of weeks ago, I just went on the Department of Justice, um, Bar Flynn motion. That should, that should pop it up. Bar Flynn motion. Okay, so just Google it. All right, 803-0930, back to the phone lines. Pat is with us on line two. Hello, Pat. Uh, good morning. Thanks for taking the call. Kyle, first, a couple of questions. Are you consulting to any one of these Republican campaigns? No. Chris Jacobs or any of them? Or to the committee? Nope. And not to the Erie County Republican Committee? Nope. My firm stays out of partisan politic, political campaigns. Oh, okay. So now turning to the Berman, you know, I heard you go on for five minutes on how you think the courts are stacked. And earlier you had mentioned that this is a republic, a representative republic. Are you saying that the voters just aren't smart enough to elect the people that would appoint the judges? Are you dismissing uh, uh, the elections? Because I remember somebody saying elections have consequences. And in this case, in New York, uh, they keep electing now a completely democratic slate, which is not good for democracy. But uh, Mr. Berman, as I recall, was hailed as a hero, uh, the, the one who was going to get justice for Donald Trump when he was appointed by Donald Trump. Is that correct? That he was appointed by Donald Trump, yes. But let me. there's two forces going on here with judges. First of all, as you know, on the federal level, judges are appointed for life. And so you, we have lots of judges that were appointed by presidents going back two, three, four cycles. Number two, and this is very frustrating to conservatives, is how many times we see so-called conservative judges appointed to courts and we think, oh, we're finally going to get some, you know, some reasonable decisions based on the Constitution as judges are supposed to rule. And those judges move to the left. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I, I really, in my lifetime, can't think of it happening the opposite way, where liberals appointed to the court move to the right. And, and the most recent example, of course, is uh, Justice Roberts, who sided with the four liberals on the court uh, in overturning Trump's executive order and applying a set of Roberts rules <laughs> that he didn't apply to Obama when Obama passed the original executive order. So it's very frustrating, this whole judicial setup, in terms of the lifetime appointments and, and how that can transcend elections and trends within, within uh, society, and also the fact that it seems that conservative judges have a tendency to want to be loved by the New York Times and the Washington Post and their editorial boards and tend to move in that direction. So using your standard, Chris Jacobs is allowed to become enlightened on the issue of abortion, but Judge Roberts isn't allowed to become enlightened on executive orders. No, is, is, that, is that your position? Enlightened on the Constitution, okay? And what the Constitution says, that's the purpose of a judge. That's the role of a judge, not to make laws. So I don't call it enlightenment when a judge from the bench makes up his or her own rules and sets aside what Congress has done or what the Constitution says. That's the difference. 
Pat, thank you very much for the call. Uh, Carol, I want to get back to the Tulsa rally and uh, what you thought about President Trump. And a couple of things stood out to me. I watched the entire thing. and. Uh, Trump looked like he was back in his element. I think he enjoys being up at that podium and, and talking about his, uh, his triumphs, what he views as his accomplishments. But I thought a couple of things were ill-advised. When he talked about scaling back the tests because it, it inflates the numbers of those who are infected with COVID-19, I thought that was a mistake. And I also thought his term Kung Flu was a mistake. And the other thing that concerned me was his long, I think it was about 10 minutes, uh, the explanation about him going down the ramp when he was uh, addressing the cadets and also uh, what appeared to be difficulty drinking water. Uh, what, what did you think of his performance last night? Well, it, you know, it's, everything Trump does has got, you know, good parts and bad parts. Um, sometimes Trump can be his own worst enemy. You know, I watch the, the show The Five every night on Fox, and one of the and one of the commentators there is Juan Williams. And I can't tell you how many living room arguments I have with Juan Williams with some of the stuff that comes out of his mouth. But he said something a couple of weeks ago that I said to my wife, for the first time I agree 100% with what Juan Williams said. And what he said was, right today, Donald Trump is losing this election to Donald Trump. I thought that was, was absolutely right on. He can be his own worst enemy. Uh, I think what he should have said about the testing is we shouldn't end it. Of course we shouldn't end it. What we should do, and this is a media problem, we should be more specific. All we're getting is raw numbers. How many people tested positive? Fine. Now I'd like to know uh, of what, how many people, that's a raw number. I'd like to know, you know, what the percentage of people testing positive to the number of tests uh, is. I'd like to know how many of those people are asymptomatic. I'd like to know how many of those people have mild symptoms and will be able to recover at home. And I want to know what the hospitalization rate is. That would give me a complete picture of what this virus is doing and how it's impacting people, as opposed to just saying the numbers have spiked, the numbers have spiked. I mean, there's no question in my mind that there is a, a drumbeat in the part of the media to scare people and continue this thing on uh, you know, in perpetuity. Just look at the Buffalo News every day. Uh, so I think well, but, Carl, I don't think you can take this lightly. More detail in the reporting on the testing, he would have been on very solid ground. In terms of the Kung flu, I'm going to bring something up here. The, the Chinese, the Communist Chinese Party, has thousands, tens of thousands of people in this country who are employed by the Chinese government. They are diplomats, they are spies, they are employees. Um, and they have been, many of them, many of them, are organized in what is called, they're, they're called to be wolf warriors. This is a Communist Party term, a wolf warrior. And the purpose of a wolf is to howl whenever anything is written or said that's, that's anti-communist Chinese party. And so when, and there was a great article in the Wall Street Journal about this a couple weeks ago. People are finding that, you know, if they send out an, an anti-Chinese uh, tweet to 12 people, they're getting responses from Chinese nationals who are in this country saying this is wrong, this is outrageous, this is racist, at that level. So what happened here? Early on, the Chinese Communist Party did two things very effectively. When this was being called the Wuhan virus, okay, which, again, going back in time, it was, we had the Spanish flu, we had the Hong Kong flu, we had SARS, um, uh, we had uh, MERS, which stands for Middle East uh, Respiratory Syndrome, we had Ebola named after a river, we had the West Nile virus, we had the St. Louis flu. It's been very customary to name flus after where they come from. And initially this was called the Wuhan virus. 
the Chinese Communist Party did two things. They first got the World Health Organization to give it a name of COVID-19, because they frankly own the World Health Organization. And secondly, they had these wolf warriors start to put out tweets and Facebook prompts, to, especially to journalists and people in the media, saying this is racist. And the media picked that up, and frankly, they were played like, like a fine musical instrument, and immediately started saying any reference to China or the, or the city of Wuhan is racist. And so that's at play here. And just remember that whenever you see major pushback about any Chinese issue, remember that term, wolf warriors. That is a, that is a real strategy that the Chinese Communist Party employs in responding to anything that they see contrary to their interests occurring in the United States. Carol, you know, you always have really interesting insight, and I had never heard the term wolf warrior before, but if, assuming that's true, and I have no doubt that what you're saying is true, why feed into it if you're Donald Trump? I mean, and then you have Andrew Cuomo talking about how the virus came from Europe. So why have any designation? You know, it's just, just refer to it as the coronavirus or COVID-19. You know, in other words, it, it, it really speaks to what you're saying about how he is often his own worst enemy. Well, and I know he likes to have these little nicknames and terms and sort of taglines for um, people and situations. But uh, to me, it just creates more division well, maybe, in a country that is continuing to, be, to see so much division, whether it's racial, racial or uh, between authorities and, and citizens. I just don't understand the, the point in doing that. Well, I, there's a couple of points. First one is, I think the Chinese Communist Party needs to pay a price for how they handled this virus coming out of the city of Wuhan. I agree. They falsified documents, arrested doctors, lied about it, withheld information, refused to allow foreign experts to come in to get a handle on it, manipulated the World Health Organization. This, this was just, I mean, and now we're paying the price for that. We are paying the price for that. So I, It's indefensible, Carol. I agree. Identifying this as a virus that came from Wuhan, to me, is not racist. It's accurate, and it, it puts the blame back on the country that perpetrated this, this whole disaster for us. Donald Trump's campaign is going to be based on three issues, I believe. One will be the economy, and his argument is going to be, I rebuilt a totally stagnant economy that Obama left us, and I, I made it the strongest economy in the world. Now it's in the tank because of the Wuhan virus, and I'm the best person to bring it back. That, that's going to be issue number one. Um, issue number two is going to be China. Just the whole, na not just the virus, but the whole trading relationship, um, our international relationships with them, military, defense. Going to, this is going to be, in many ways, a China election. And number three, um, well, I think the courts will certainly be a part of it, but uh, law and order. And if, if these riots continue in the streets, Donald Trump is going to play that for everything it's worth. Well, let's not forget about the economy, too, because I know Donald Trump talked about that again last night. Uh, can it realistically recover from the, the pandemic? And what if there's a second wave? I mean, there's no way to predict what's going to happen, but it certainly concerns me to see so many people, whether it's protesters or people at a rally, that are shoulder to shoulder, many of whom are not wearing a mask. Uh, that concerns me about another outbreak. Uh, I do have grave concerns about uh, how we're going to, to deal with this if this happens again in the fall, and then you couple that with the flu season. It, uh, it, could, be, it could be a real issue again for all of us. I, I believe it is going to happen again at, at some level because, remember, the lockdown was not meant to kill the virus. Lockdowns don't kill the virus. Right. Lockdowns only delayed the transmission of the virus. Now, the question is, 
when we start to reconnect socially, which we're doing now, it's going to reemerge. The question is, how badly will it reemerge? My feeling is that it will be less than the first phase, because the first phase, we were kind of caught unaware about it. Now people are voluntarily social distancing. Many people are wearing masks. Um, we're not having the, the big of sporting events and things like that. Uh, people are washing their hands and using hand sanitizer. So I think all of those things will mitigate it, but it's not going to eliminate it. This will not be eliminated until we reach that so-called herd immunity and or we have a vaccine. Uh, and we just have to learn to manage the risk because uh, the risk of having another total lockdown will be disastrous. Absolutely. Carol, speaking of managing, it's time for me to manage the, uh, the break. We are just about out of time, and I want to thank you for taking the time to join me. It's always great to have your insight. And enjoy your day. I hope you get pampered a little later today. Thank you, Brenda. Enjoyed it very much. Thank you so much. And my thanks to John Simon, the pride of Michigan State. Uh, John Simon, the Spartan, who took care of our uh, producing and technical work today. Thanks to John and to all of you for listening. We'll see you next week right here on Hardline. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.